0: Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal from the Continuing Church of God. Today I'd like to talk about race and grace. Do you actually view race the same way God does? Back in October of 2012, around the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, I'd received an email from somebody who had attended the, the feast, apparently with my prior organization, and some issues apparently had come up. Instead of asking the ministry there to deal with the issue, this person asked me if I would do an article about uh, race and grace. And I'd like to actually read the email that I received. This was in October of 2012 uh, from somebody from East Africa. No, there was no racial troubles at all. It was just that sentiments expressed by some brethren of African origin, black as some would say, we had a barbecue at Family Day. During that social meeting, I noticed that some brethren were misunderstanding the message of the Israelitish heritage. They felt it precluded them from God's favor and felt that it was being used to justify wrongs committed against the African race in the past. They also felt that there was a subtle hint of superiority complex in as far as that doctrine is concerned. Anyway, May you do an article just explaining the relevance and equality of all brethren, despite race, in God's church. So, that's the email I got. I basically responded that God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't love those of Israelitish background more than those without an Israelitish background. He loves the Gentiles as well, and he has a plan. His plan is based on love, and his plan of salvation includes all peoples, irrespective of race, and all have an opportunity for salvation. But I then did a more detailed article, which I uh, later expanded. Now in hindsight, uh, this is somewhat providential because in the continuing Church of God, we actually have a lot of people who do not have Israelite as heritage. Uh, we have uh, congregations uh, in East Africa, by the way, probably more people there than any specific place in the world. We've got people on all the inhabited continents. It's all continents except Antarctica. If we have people there, that I don't know. Um, But we have people of different races and different racial backgrounds. And you say, well, you've been to Church of God for a while, so you certainly understand race. Really? Well, the email that this individual sent me suggested that not everybody did understand it. And and some were offended by uh, racial superiority complexes of different groups. Now, Christians are not saved by race, and if you take your Bibles and you go to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, we're going to read about how we're saved. Ephesians 2, starting verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You can't save yourself, and nor does the ethnic background of your parents uh, have an effect on uh, whether or not you're going to be saved. But some will say, yes, but the children of Israel, weren't they God's chosen people? And certainly God did choose uh, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, for various blessings. So let's read a passage there. This time we go to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verses 6 through 8. And excuse the fact I get excited sometimes, and I know frequently I'll go sort of fast, uh, There's so much I always want to cover. Um, anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting at verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. this is to the descendants of Israel, children of Israel. God says they are chosen people for himself. So yes, this is mentioned. A special treasure above all the peoples in the face of the earth. But notice verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you are more in number than any other people, for you are the least of all the peoples, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh the king of Egypt. So God chose the descendants of Israel to receive promises that God gave to their ancestors. Well, why did God do that? Well, he did that so they would be examples. Not because they were going to get salvation others were not, but to be examples. Um, We were in Deuteronomy. go back a couple of chapters. This time we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And starting verse 5. God says, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments. Which Moses says, Just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in a land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So they were supposed to keep God's laws, God's statutes, and commands, so the rest of the world will see them as an example, say, aha, this is surely a wise and understanding people, because look at things, are working right. Why is that? Because they're doing what God said. Verse 7, What great nation is there that God has set so near to it, as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call on him? And what great nation is there that has such as statutes, righteous judgments, as are in all this law which I set before you this day? So Moses is telling these people, look, God gave you these statutes and commands, so I'm giving them to you. And he did it so you would be an example. And aren't these great statutes laws, aren't these laws righteous? Isn't that what we should be doing? Sadly, to a major degree, the children of Israel failed to do that. But with God's spirit, Christians uh, magnify the laws, it says in uh, Isaiah forty-two twenty-one, the old King James Version, or they exalt the law and make it honorable, it says the same passage in Isaiah, the New King James Version. So, one reason that the children of Israel were chosen were to be an example for the world in general, to the Gentiles. But there was another reason. That is, a lot of what happened to them that was recorded about them was to be examples for those of us who are called now. The children of Israel were an example for us who uh, consider ourselves Christians today. Notice what uh, the Apostle Paul wrote. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, They drank that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But most of them, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These are the bodies of people who didn't uh, seem to understand that these laws and statutes were so good they were supposed to do them. Verse 6 Now these things became our examples. Whose examples? we'll get to this, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted, and do not become idolaters as some of them. And right now we have a problem with many or most who profess Christianity or into some form of idolatry. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and then rose up to play. Now, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. We've got a situation now where people think that they're uh, Christian if they engage in immoral behaviors, sexual behaviors, including homosexuality and all that type of thing. Verse 9, Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. When you say, well, you're not homosexual, you're not engaged in sexual immorality, so this doesn't apply to you. Well, how about this stuff about tempting Christ, basically, with complaints, etc.? Aren't we all guilty of that? Verse 10, nor complained, that some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now verse 11, now now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So these things happened to the children of Israel for examples, and they were chosen to, to be a chosen people for several reasons. One, to be examples of the world at large. Another to be examples for us in this age. There's other reasons, uh, such as physical blessings that God gave the descendants of Israel, and uh, the, that, uh, for example, specifically the, the sons of Joseph, that the American and Anglo-Saxon peoples represented got physical blessings. That's that actually, basically, an example of the fact that God is faithful. God's promises come to pass. But these were not exclusive to salvation. It was not that only the uh, Jews could be uh, saved. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but you continue through verse 22 of 1 Corinthians. He warns more against idolatry, more against doing the things of the flesh. He even warns against being involved in pagan holidays. And yet many who profess Christianity are involved in such things and even within the Church of God there's uh, an element if you will that wants to be closer and closer to the world's holidays and the Apostle Paul warned about that now as Christians as it says in Revelation 14 4 we're supposed to be first fruits. and we're supposed to learn from the examples of the children of Israel as the Apostle Paul said in 1st Corinthians 10 we're not supposed to sin like they did we're not supposed to adopt pagan practices uh, but like the children of Israel, we as first fruits, we as Christians in this age are supposed to be examples. Uh, Jesus said, basically, we're supposed to be the light of the world. But also for those who are gonna be called later, uh, you could look at that in 1 Corinthians 15, 23 to 25, Revelation 24 through six. So just like the children of Israel were supposed to be an example for us, we're supposed to be an example now. So the first firstfruits, are not better in that sense than others, and the children of Israel were not better in that sense than others. To be examples. Interestingly, in First uh, Thessalonians uh, 1, verses 6 through 10, the Apostle Paul commends the Thessalonians, which were Gentiles, by the way. Why? Because they turned away from pagan practices and. Uh, Celebrations and that type of thing. Toward God, and actually, in First Thessalonians 2.14, I think it's the verse, uh, Kaab, well, Paul commended them also because they became imitators of the church of God in Judea. So they were Gentiles, they were commended for turning away from idols, and they were commended for following the practices of God's true church. Now, if you take your Bibles and go to the book of John, chapter 4, Here's a reason that some could point to, or may have actually, I think, have pointed to to suggest that uh, uh, God does have uh, a preference, spiritual preference for those who are of Israelite or Jewish heritage. And I'd like to read the whole passage here. This is John 4, verses 21 through 26. Jesus said to her, now who this her is, this is a, a woman at the well, she was a Samaritan woman. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we worship. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The one said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us these things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am am he. So notice that Jesus said the Samaritans were confused, but the time would come, and now is, that they could worship as well. The Samaritans didn't worship God in spirit and truth. Basically, they had combined paganism into their, their worship. A couple of verses that I use a lot here are in the book of Matthew for the, we in the continuing church of God are trying to fulfill these commissions so go to Matthew 28 verses 19 through 20 Jesus says go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you lo I am with you always even to the end of the age so he said make disciples of all nations that includes the Gentile nations and in Matthew 24:14, which most of you probably have memorized, but maybe some of you uh, visitors have not, and this gospel, of the kingdom will be preached in all the worlds of witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Yet the idea that God was going to call the Gentiles was not originally understood by the apostles. You say, well, yes, when he did Matthew 24:14, they hadn't been baptized, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. So they didn't realize that they were supposed to be a witness to all nations. Well, Matthew 24, 14, perhaps, I mean, at that time, that's right. But what about Matthew 28, 19 through 20, after Jesus was resurrected? Um, At this time, they should have kind of gotten it, but they absolutely did not. I'm going to read some accounts about that. But before I do, you might say, yes, but you're in the Church of God now. You understand. You don't have any real problems with race. Really? Maybe you don't. I suggest that maybe you do. And I would also suggest that most of the top leaders within the Churches of God, the, the groups that call themselves Churches of God, have problems with, with racial issues. Let me relate uh, a, a recent incident. Um, I don't know, probably a couple of weeks ago, uh, within the last few weeks anyway, I was speaking with a very well-known leader uh, of uh, one of the larger Church of God groups. Now, this particular leader has been uh, in the Church of God for many decades. Uh, If you've been in the Church of God for a long time, I'm certain you know who this person is. If I said the person's name, you'd know who he was. But I'm not going to go into what his name is. But I'm going to say what he said. He made a comment to me uh, in regards to uh, discussions related to uh, Africa and uh, some of the Gentile regions of the world. He's like, you know, when will the Gentiles, you know, can the Gentiles lose their Gentile mindset? Can they start to to think more like Israelites, I guess, is what he was trying to say. And he seemed to care, uh, agree with, My particular positions on various things, and I said to him, I said, Well, you know, I said, I'm Gentile. As far as I can tell, um, well, I have some Israelitish uh, heritage. Uh, I seem to be predominantly uh, Gentile. I said, But I was raised in an Israelitish uh, nation, and so have some Israelitish ideas, if you will, and viewpoints. And he said, Ah, the light went on. He's been around for many decades, and he's older than I am he has been around for many decades and it's like oh, then maybe it's not just your ethnic background that makes one a certain way but also how you're raised and I said yes and now I'm not sitting here trying to say that the views of people in the United States are always right or always wrong or the views of those in Latin America uh, Africa, Asia uh, Europe, Australasia Uh, Pacific Islands etc even those in Antarctica uh, that one view is always right one view is always wrong uh, because within the world there's a knowledge of good and evil and there's some good and evil in in all of those but I think the, the point he was trying to say is that he had seen what he considered to be a Gentile mindset and that is that a lot of people even those in the Church of God are living by the way of get and not the way of give You want to know how much they can get from you. They'll support you if you give them something, but they don't really want to give enough of themselves. And that can be a problem. But I would also comment that even in the Israelitish nations, that is a problem. And it is a growing problem. I see the way of get uh, increasing uh, in, for example, the United States. And I've been around the world, uh, and seems to be growing in other places. And I would say it's not limited to uh, uh, the Gentile nations. But as I was saying before, uh, despite the fact Jesus wanted them to go into all the nations and uh, teach all things he commanded them, and the gospel of the kingdom had to preach the world as a witness, they actually didn't get it. The apostles, at least the original uh, ones, seem to think that salvation was mostly just a matter for the Israelitish people. Now, it actually took a lot to get people to change this. God decided to make it really clear by doing a series of uh, interventions or miracles, however you want to word it. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. And we're going to go through uh, most of Acts chapter 10 and part of Acts chapter 11 to explain this why do I want to explain this to you because, because you think you already know well the apostles thought they already knew they were trained by Jesus himself and they thought they understood but they still had problems when it came to race including uh, the apostle Peter Acts chapter uh, 10 starting in verse 1 there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision, in a vision, an angel of God coming to him and saying, Cornelius, and he observed him. He was afraid He said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. So Cornelius, who's a Gentile, uh, commander of the Italian a centurion in the Italian regiment, saw a vision. And where was he? He was in Israel, in Joppa. I actually was there uh, in October of 2013 and actually went to the spot, is claimed to be where this house was. Maybe it is, maybe it wasn't but it was certainly in the right general area. Verse 7, And When an angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier among those who waited on him continuously. When he explained all these things to them. He sent them to Joppa. So he stayed where he was at, and he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went through their journey, they got near the city, Peter went up the household to pray. It was about the sixth hour. Then he became hungry, and he wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and he saw heaven opened an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners, descending upon him and came down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, not so, Lord. I've not eaten anything common or unclean. Voice spoke to him a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times. The object was taking up into heaven again. Apparently, this had to be done three times so it would really make an impression on Peter. Sometimes we don't get things the first time. So the reasons we have uh, 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 holy convocations, Sabbath services, we do sermons. We go through scriptures. Some of these scriptures, uh, probably all these scriptures, most of you heard before we need to go through these multiple times to get it. Now, although certain Protestants have come up with the wrong conclusion about what this vision means, notice what uh, the Apostle Peter said, or thought, in verse uh, 17. Now, Peter wondered with himself what this vision, which he had just seen, meant. So he didn't know. He wasn't sure what it meant. He had some ideas, but he didn't know. Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius made inquiry for Simon's house, and they stood before the gate. and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. When Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, go down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So even having this vision, Peter had to be told, the People are coming, there's going to be three of them, you can count, he'll know this, therefore this is true. And then just go, don't doubt, you just go. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I'm he who you seek. What reason did you come? Peter still didn't know. Verse 22. And they said, Cornelius the centurion is a just man, one who fears God, and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. He was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. So then Peter invited them in, and they lodged them. And he analyzed them, so they spent the night, apparently. And the next day, Peter went with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Verse 24. The following day, they entered Caesarea, or as they, they say over there, Caesarea. I've also been there. It's, uh, actually, I went there the same day, except uh, we used an automobile, so it would be faster than what they did. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and his close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted up saying, stand up, for I'm also only a man. Interject here. Within the Church of Rome, they do allow people to bow down and whatever. It looks like worship before the but And they claim to be uh, Peter's uh, representative, if you will. But Peter didn't put up with that. He said, no, don't do that. Anyway, verse 27, as he talked with him, he went and he found many who had come together. And he said to him, this is Peter saying, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation? But God has shown me that I should call no man common or unclean. And I'll just make a comment here. When uh, the sheet was raised down, and the, the voice said, uh, don't call anything God the voice of don't call anything, God is cleansed common he didn't say that nothing was unclean anymore. and I've seen Protestants argue this that this, that this means that uh, you can eat unclean animals or something, but that obviously is not what Peter saw it meant. And I would also comment that the Greek word for common is the same word for our common salvation that the Bible uses elsewhere. So, uh, but Peter wasn't supposed to call any man common or unclean. And that's what the vision meant. Verse 29, therefore, Peter says, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, for what reason have you sent me? He still wasn't totally sure. Sir Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting. So notice that he not only prayed, but he's also fasting. It's something that Christians are supposed to do these days. Until this hour, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered in the sight of God. We see the same type of thing, by the way, in the book of Daniel. Daniel had fasted and prayed, and uh, an angel came to him and said, you know, uh, you're beloved of God. We know what you've been up to, and so God is going to give you an answer. Now, I realize some of you have some health issues in terms of fasting, but for those who uh, can fast, again, notice that this was a Gentile. People didn't think... Peter wasn't even convinced prior to this that he could be saved. Anyway, he says, Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon there, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. It's a little bit confusing because there's two Simon, Simon Peter and Simon the Tanner. When he comes, he'll speak to you. So I sent for you immediately, and you've done well to come. Now therefore, we're all present before God to hear the things commanded uh, you by God. So, okay, so Peter says, okay, let's see, I didn't know why it was coming, so okay. Verse 34, so Peter says, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality, verse 34. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So those who believe and do. Verse 36, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, you know, which was proclaimed through all Judea and began in Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things which he did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed hanging on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witnessed that through his name, Whoever believes in him will receive remissions of sin, remission of sins. Was that just Peter's idea, or did God confirm it? So let's go to the next verse, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking his words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word, and all those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. And as many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can any forbid water that these should not be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. They asked him to stay a few days. So God made it abundantly clear. It took a lot to get Peter and everybody to get this. Okay? There was an angel appeared to Cornelius after he was praying and fasting. Peter had a vision. Peter had a voice tell him, the Holy Spirit tell him, by the way, three men are also going to come. Yeah, and he saw the vision three times. Okay, The three men came, step by step by step. God wanted to make it clear, that, absolutely clear, that the Gentiles are supposed to be here because the apostles hadn't gotten it. Do we all in the Church of God really get it now? We'd like to think we do, but I'm not convinced we've all gotten it yet, brethren. Now, verse... 1 of chapter 11. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard the Gentiles also received the word of God. When Peter came to Jerusalem, those of circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcision-sized men and ate with them. How horrible! You had dinner with pagans or, or Gentiles. Not Israelites. So they had judged Peter. A lot of times people misjudge. It happens frequently. Verse 4. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in the trance I saw a vision, and an object descended like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. Verse 6. When I observed it intently, I considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild bees, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I also heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. Uh, Common items were not unclean animals. It had to do with uh, how the clean animals were processed. Verse 9. But the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed you must not call common. Again, he didn't say... God made unclean things clean, or unclean meat food, which is what some Protestants have misinterpreted this to say, even though it should be very clear from the Scriptures. Verse 10, Now this was done three times. Again, he's reminding everybody it had done three times, I guess, so they wouldn't think he imagined it or misinterpreted it. And all were drawn up again into heaven. Verse 11, At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, had been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go down with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered this man's house. So Peter says, I also have these witnesses with me. These are Israelite witnesses. Six of them came with me. That should be enough. And he, that's Cornelius, told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Verse 15. And As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as upon us in the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So finally, some other things Jesus said to Peter hit him. They finally got it. And by the way, not, probably not so long after this, I'm sure they finally grasped Matthew 24, 14, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. <laughs> Verse 17, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to withstand God? Peter says, verse 18, when they heard these things, they became silent. Okay, the ones who had criticized Peter for going to the Gentiles, shut up. They glorified God saying, then God has also granted Gentiles repentance to life. So finally, they're starting to get it. You would think they'd been with Jesus for years. You'd think that they'd understood it. But they didn't get it. It took a lot for them to get it. Again, I'm not convinced, brethren, that we all get it now. Various ones who are, who are in the Church of God have racial views, racial biases, racial prejudice, many of which are not proper. Uh, whites are not superior to black. Asians are not superior to... To uh, to whites, uh, descendants of Israel, physical descendants of Israel, are not superior to the Gentiles. Those are not descendants of Israel. Not in God's sight. Possibly because of some of the attitudes of the twelve, God decided to uh, have the apostle Paul spend a lot of time being an apostle to the Gentiles. I'm going to read some things that he said, but before that, I'll also mention that apparently the apostle Thomas got it. Um, we, there's lots of traditions that uh, Thomas made it to India, that perhaps he made it to Malaysia or the edge of China, and that he he went into the Gentile lands. Uh, there's other evidence that some others uh, went somewhat toward Africa. Uh, we know... Uh, that they went to many other places. But as far as the Apostle Paul goes, let's go to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. i like to read something from there. So Galatians 2, starting in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and also took Titus with me. Then I went up by revelation. He went up by revelation. So again, there's a message here. And communicated to them that gospel which, which I preach among the Gentiles but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run in or had run in vain. So in other words, he went to those of reputation, that would be the more famous apostles, trying kind to of let them in on some of this stuff. And he says, even Titus, who was with me being Greek, was, uh, not even Titus, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because false brethren secretly brought in uh, verse uh, to spy out our liberty, And we wouldn't yield to them that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. To the Galatians, these are Gentiles. But from those who seem to be something, that's the more famous apostles, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows no personal favoritism to man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me, but the contrary. When they saw that the gospel, the uncircumcised, had been committed to me, and the gospel the circumcised to Peter. So, uh, Paul having the gospel for the Gentiles and Peter to the children of Israel. Verse 8 For he who works effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace which was given to me, they gave me Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And so that's how it was for a while. And this was probably why God had Paul go to Rome and to Italy. Uh, he went to Asia Minor, uh, like Ephesus, Crete. Uh, he also went to islands like Crete and uh, Rhodes. Uh, he went to Corinth and Thessalonica in Greece. Uh, he went to Sicily. He went to Malta. He went uh, throughout the Gentile, those areas of the Gentile lands. Uh, there's some belief that perhaps he went up to Spain. Maybe he went up to uh, uh, the British Isles. But he felt that uh, he was supposed to reach uh, the Gentiles. And sometimes he would also reach the Israelites. If you read through uh, the book of Acts, he would talk to the Jews too. Now, the Bible makes it clear that there's no salvation difference between those who are Jewish physically and those who are not. We're going to go further in Galatians. Now we're going to go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ and you are Abraham's seeds, and heirs according to the promise, the spiritual promises made to Abraham, applied to the Gentiles. There's no difference. It says this clearly here in Galatians chapter 3. Now, Colossians 3, I'm going to go there as well. Colossians 3, I'm going to start in verse 9. Do not lie to one another, since you put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. For there is neither Greek nor Jew circumcised nor uncircumcised. So children of Israel, physically or not, but that's that's not it. Barbarian or Scythian. Now the Scythians were the descendants of the children of Israel. Uh, Most of the ten lost tribes, if not all, uh, are probably referred to by this term Scythian here. Slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. As it says in Romans 2.11, there is no partiality with God. Now the book of Romans chapter 2 I'd like to read uh, not just verse 11 which I just did but I'd like to also read verses 28 and 29 because some people get confused about the whole Jew thing. Romans two twenty-eight: For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly nor is circumcision that which is outward to the flesh but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So this should be abundantly clear from these scriptures, that those who are not physically Israelite or those who did not get circumcised or whatever, uh, that's not the point. It's a salvation difference. It's, it, when it comes to being a Christian, those are not issues. Sadly, some Catholics and some Protestant writings say that those who are Jewish are going to get more of God's wrath than God's grace, that they're not, they're not the... Uh, that basically the Jews are worse than everybody else is kind of the, is the view. You've seen people say that the Jews killed Christ and all that type of stuff, although actually physically it was uh, the Roman Empire uh, that did it. Yeah, the Jews complained, but the Roman Empire carried it out. So I'd like to go through some false assertions. I'd like to read an account that happened during an Inquisition in France. This is uh, from a book called The General History of the Sabbatarian Churches. On the 14th of September, 1492, about 30 persons were committed to the Inquisitional dungeons in Toulouse, that's in France, upon a charge of Judaism. They were brought before the inquisitors for the charge of Judaism. Of there was Anthony Ferrar, who had been a pastor or teacher in the Sabbatarian church in that city. After remaining in prison for ten days, he received a visit from an Italian monk named Gregory. So I'm going to read what Gregory said and what Anthony says. Gregory, says, But Anthony, you must be a liar and a deceiver, for I have been credibly informed that yourself and all your friends were of the cursed race of Israel. And Anthony says, That is false. We are honest Frenchmen and Christians, followers of Jesus. We say the Ten Commandments are still binding. Then Gregory says, Yes, and instead of observing the festivals of the Holy Church, pagan holidays, and honoring the Holy Day of the Lord, uh, well, that would have been Saturday, but in their case they're saying it's Sunday, on which he rose from the dead, you were accustomed to meet and worship on the old Sabbath or Saturday. Anthony responds, We did indeed rest and attend divine worship on the seventh day, even as God commanded. So notice, because... He and his followers, his group, were keeping the Sabbath. They were said, "Ah, you're that part of that cursed Jewish Israelite people, and therefore uh, you're not French, you're not Christian, and you should be subject to punishment." Of course, keeping the Sabbath doesn't change one's race, (laughs) make one Jewish, uh, no matter what some inquisitor might say. And there are Catholics who believe that their history has been affected by secret Jews who pretended to be Christian, and I'll try to get to that later. But I will comment that anti-Semitism has no place in real Christianity. And it's horrific that um, certain Catholics, certain Protestants, and even people who claim to be associated with the Church of God sometimes have hinted that. Now the next thing I want to go to discuss is a position from the Protestant reformer John Calvin. Uh he was born in uh, 1509, and he died in 1564. He became a leading French theologian of the Protestant Reformation. He broke away from the Roman Catholic Church when he was in his 20s, and he later fled to uh, Basel, Switzerland. He started to have increased fame in 1536, and he first published a, uh, a book, which I think is improperly titled, Institutes of the Christian Religion, And he worked to persuade people in Geneva and elsewhere. He had a lot of uh, wrong doctrines, uh, which I probably will not get to today, but I'd like to read what he talked about the Jews, or what he taught about the Jews. This is from John Calvin's Exegesis of the Old Testament. The Lord so blinded them and delivered them up to a reprobate mind when he wished them to be examples of horrible blindness and prodigious stupidity I have had much conversation with many Jews. I have never seen either a drop of piety or grain of truth or ingenuousness. Nay, have I never found common sense in any Jew. That's nonsense. I mean, that's anti-Semitic, that's wrong. Uh, I've found Jewish people have at least as much common sense as others. And as a as a race, by the way, they tend to be more educated than, than many others. You know, the view that John Calvin had toward Jews simply is not consistent with what we in the continuing Church of God had. Apparently, John Calvin never really did understand that God is love, which it says in 1 John 4, verse 8, as well as in verse 16. Uh, and there's a problem with his ideas about predestination and everything else. But you say, well, he just one Protestant leader. Well, let's read something... From Martin Luther, who was considered the father of the Protestant Reformation. My heart is fuller, this is what Martin Luther wrote, of these thoughts than my tongue can tell. I have come to the conclusion that the Jews will always curse and blaspheme God as all their prophets have predicted. He who neither reads nor understands this as yet knows no theology, in my opinion. So if you don't think that the Jews always Curse and blaspheme God, he says, you don't know any theology. That's what Martin Luther taught. And so I presume the men of Cologne cannot understand the scripture because it's necessary that such things take place to fulfill prophecy. If they are trying to stop the Jews blaspheming, they are working to prove the Bible and God liars. Unbelievable. But multiple millions have followed Martin Luther and John Calvin, As a matter of fact. Hundreds of millions have followed them. Furthermore, Martin Luther wrote, I made up my mind to write no more either about the Jews or against them. But since I learned that those miserable and accursed people do not cease to lure themselves, even us, that is the Christians, I published this little book that I might be found among those who oppose such poisonous activities to the Jews and who warn the Christians to be on guard against them. And by the way, It's writings of Martin Luther, and actually some Catholic writings, but heavily on Martin Luther, that Adolf Hitler's regime relied on for their justification for uh, what they did to the Jews during the Holocaust. Anyway, Martin Luther continues, They are so blind and so stupid that they neither see the words found in Genesis 17 nor the whole of Scripture, which mightily and explicitly condemns this lie. They are real liars and bloodhounds, who have not only continually perverted and falsified all the scripture with their mendicius glosses from the beginning until the present day, their heart most ardent sighing and yearning and hoping is set in a day in which they can deal with us Gentiles as they did with the Gentiles in Persia at the day, time of Esther. So what Martin Luther is saying is, what the Jews really want to do, when they get a chance, they want to kill all of us, just like they killed uh, people in the days of Esther. Well, if you read the book of Esther, what you find is that these people were going to kill the Jews. And uh, God allowed Esther to have favor in the sight of the king. And the Jews were allowed to defend themselves. And the Jews eliminated those who wanted to eliminate them. But the Jews didn't go after their goods, according to the book of Esther, and focused on those who were trying to do them in. Martin Luther also wrote, the worse a Jew is, the more arrogant he is, solely because he's a Jew. That is, a person descended from Abraham's seed, circumcised in the law of Moses. David and other pious Jews were not as conceited as our present-day incorrigible Jews. I want to present this to us Germans so that we might see what rascals the blind Jews are and how powerful, powerfully the truth of God in our midst stands with us and against them. By the way, all of this is... That I've been going through uh, most all of this anyway, but these definitely these quotes are in an article at the uh, www.cogwriter.com website. That c o g w r i t e r website. So if you want the sources for this and where I got all this information. Furthermore, I want to read something else that Martin Luther advised his followers to burn down Jewish schools and synagogues, to throw pitch and sulfur into the flames, to destroy their homes, confiscate their ready money in gold and silver, to take from them their sacred books, even the whole Bible, and if that did not help matters, to hunt them out of the country like mad dogs. This is from Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation leader. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second, well, I don't have such hate toward others. Well, Jesus said, hate in your heart. It's like murder. Be careful how you judge. Jesus also said the type of judgment you judge others, you're going to be judged by as well. We're not just to judge from outward appearance, but to judge righteously. Sadly, within the churches of God, one of the reasons there are very few who are Philadelphian at this stage is because they don't judge righteously. They don't rely on the word of God. They rely on traditions and false images. And when it comes to race, a lot of people do that as well. And uh, one more quote uh, from uh, Martin Luther. Accordingly, it must and dare not be considered a trifling matter, but a most serious one to seek counsel against this and to save our souls from the Jews. That is from the devil. He's calling the Jews the devil. And from eternal death. My advice, as I earlier said, is first, that their synagogues be burned down and that all who are able to toss in silver, excuse me, sulfur and pitch do so. He wanted people to destroy the houses of the Jews. We in the true Church of God, we in the continuing Church of God, are not anti-Semitic. As I mentioned before, uh, Christians have been uh, called Jews and subject to persecution. And there's a lot of Catholic private prophecies encouraging persecution that might be pointed to as partial justification for the type of persecution we the Philadelphia Remnant are going to experience as well as those who uh, end up not uh, being part of Philadelphia uh, will experience. History shows that some of the Greco-Romans consider Christians who hold early Jewish Christian practices to be Jews. Now this goes back to at least the 4th century. I'd like to read something from the Catholic priest uh, uh, Bellamino Bagatti. He says, from 326, the authors speak of inhabitants and of Jews. And these can only be the Judeo-Christians. So he calls them Jews. He, Bugatti is saying back in 326. But these are talking about Judeo-Christians, people who had our type of practices. Then he says, refers to Epiphaneus. These Christians of Jewish race are not to be called Christians or Jews, but Nazarenes. A late confirmation that the community of Jerusalem was not considered Christian, but Nazarene is also found in relation to Severus abin ak Akwatha, the 10th century, inserted into the uh, history of the council. So he's saying that there's even some stuff within uh, the Arab, Arab writings that, that support this. Now Christianity was basically considered to be uh, a secret group, if you will, by a lot of, a lot of people and our people specifically such because we had to flee persecution. Now the Orthodox have had seers and writers who take taken positions against those who hold Church of God doctrine. One example would be from 1249. There's a vision of the, quote, Blessed Hieronymus Galathelios. I'm sorry if I don't pronounce those right. Again, you can go to the cogwriter.com website and read an article we have. It's called God's Graces for All. That's the name of this particular article, which claimed that, quote, the blasphemies of the Sabbateans have stained and soiled for many centuries. So, in 1249, the Orthodox seer has a vision from Satan, obviously, telling them that, to, to, look, the Sabbath keepers have been a problem for a long time. Uh, and now, this was reported by uh, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Helen uh, Otto, who I've talked to once before, by the way, or twice. She refers those who had Nazarene or Judeo-Christian beliefs as Christian traitors. She calls us Christian traitors in her book. I'd like to read something else. Those trying to move Christian worship from Sunday to Saturday under the excuse that this is only explicitly mentioned in scriptures. She's calling it an excuse that we go to church on the Sabbath that we keep the Sabbath, the excuses we got it from the Bible. Well, Jesus said, Jesus prayed that uh, his people be uh, sanctified or set apart by the truth, and God's word was truth. And so, yes, we keep the Sabbath because it's in the Bible. But Jesus, that's an excuse. Here, obviously, there's a major controversy about people pretending to be Christian but promoting the Sabbath day. Yet, what kind of punishment are these traitors from within Christianity going to receive? the public executioner or the Sabbateans, the Sabbath keepers. That would imply that these people, the Christian traitors are conspiring with, will eventually go against them. So in other words, what she says, and she's basing her views on her own views as well as Eastern Orthodox Catholic prophecy. She says the time is going to come where our people are going to get our message out but we're go- but people are going to betray us at the end and during the time of the tribulation those who are not in a, a place of protection a place of safety in the wilderness are going to be killed as it says the, the saints will be in a, uh, turned over to the power of the, the beast for a time, time and half a time and they will be betrayed Catholic Orthodox prophecy says that that as well now of course they're going to point to their prophecy and say ah we're supposed to do this if we had we had visions that we're supposed to kill the Sabbath keepers at the end. Okay, but they also consider they also consider us to be Jews. Now it's not just the Eastern Orthodox Catholic or the Protestants. As I mentioned the Roman Catholics. I read something else. There's this book written in the 19th century by an anonymous Catholic clergyman, and he called himself uh, Maurice Pine. Now some think it's actually one of the popes. I don't know. If that's the case, but here's what this book says. In the Middle Ages in the Middle Ages, the popes and the councils were successful in destroying the Jewish revolutionary movements which appeared within Christianity. Notice he said that throughout history, in the Middle Ages, the popes were able to persecute, kill people. These, they call them Jewish revolutionary movements which appeared within Christianity. In other words, these are people who had Church of God doctrines. People we trace our history through. Sometimes they rose up, too many of them, the popes killed them. Anyway, since these movements which appeared within Christianity in the form of false teaching, they called what we're teaching false, and which were introduced by those who were Christian in appearance, but Jews in secret. So in other words, he's saying these people appear to be Christians. They said they were Christian, but they're really Jews. So again, anti-Semitism has not been limited just to those of Jewish heritage, but also those with a Church of God background. The latter then recruited upright and good Christians for the arising heretical movement by persuading the latter in crafty way in a crafty way so Maurice Panay is saying look these Church of God types they went to the Catholics and explained stuff from the Bible and these people fell for it this is terrible well we want to get the Gospel Kingdom of the world to witness we want to teach all things Jesus said and commanded us to do and that's what we're trying to do but Again, in the 19th century, we were condemned for centuries doing this. And the Eastern Orthodox said for centuries we were doing this. Continuing. The secret Jews organized and controlled in secret manner the movements, which were the creative and driving force of false, wicked teachings, such as those of the iconoclasts. What are iconoclasts? People like those of us in the Continuing Church of God that says, by the way, you should not have idols and icons in churches, and worship them, and venerate them. That's iconoclasts. We who stand for the original Christian belief. What's bizarre is that even the Church of Rome, their leaders were opposed to idols and icons for a long time as well. But we in the continuing Church of God kept that up. And our predecessors, with other names throughout history, here they're called iconoclasts. And then Cathars, or the pure pure ones. The Paterines. Paterines, by the way, considered uh, uh, certain things associated with uh, the Pontiffs, such as crosses to be uh, the mark of the beast, the Albigenses, the Hussites, the alumbrados and others. Now, this is not a book, by the way, that I found that on the Internet that is still recommended for Catholics. Now, some Catholics distance themselves from that, and that's good. But what's going to happen when signs and lying wonders arise people are going to fall for that deceit. Once again, we're going to see, they're going to say, look, throughout history, the Sabbath keepers have been a problem. Throughout history, these are actual Jews. Or whether they're Jews or not, we're sure they're Jews, pretending to be Christians. So this is another type of racial prejudice. There's another reason why those in church of God need to be even more cautious and perhaps they should, they've thought otherwise, as far as being anti-Semitic. Now, as part of the final phase of the work, we Christians are going to give testimonies. We're going to speak against idols. We're going to speak against Sunday. We're going to speak against uh, the the false prophet. We're going to speak against uh, the beast power. And we're going to be subject to persecution for that. Now, go take your Bibles. Let's go back to the Bible. This time we're going to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, I'm going to start in uh, verse 12, Luke 21, verse 12, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up in the synagogues and prisons, and that's been going on for centuries. Right now, we've been in a period of time where it's been relatively peaceful, but that's not going to continue. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, verse 13, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you'll answer. But you do need to understand that you're going to do it. <laughs> Verse 15, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Morris Panay said they were speaking in a crafty way. Yeah, the Holy Spirit moved people to quote scriptures and to remind people what the original church did. And this will happen again. Verse 16. You'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they'll put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's namesake, but not a hair of your head will be lost. By your patience you'll possess your souls. Now me talking about this is not something some people want to hear. Um, in Isaiah 30 verses 9 through 10... It's a warning that some people are not going to hear these kind of messages. People don't want us to talk about race. People don't want us to talk about anti-Semitism. People don't want us to say persecution is going to come. People don't want us to say that there's right and wrong. That those who accepted idols and icons were wrong. Those who accepted Sunday were wrong. Those who accepted pagan holidays were wrong. Those who changed the gospel are wrong. Those who uh, misunderstand and misteach the Godhead are wrong. Those who say the Ten Commandments are done away were wrong. Those who renumbered the Ten Commandments are wrong. Those who say they keep the Ten Commandments but don't, like the Pharisees of old, we've got a lot of those these days, are also wrong. Some prefer smooth things. Uh, God did not call a leader, the continuing church of God, who is into smooth things. I try to be cautious. I try not to... uh, Unnecessarily offend, but we're supposed to uh, spare not and cry aloud and tell people our sins. And one of the sins is on the racial side. I've noticed that a lot within the churches of God, they don't mind saying the problems that the Protestants have or the Gaelicists have, but you start to talk about Church of God problems, like their abdication of, let's say, violent sports or their wrong racial attitudes or some of their political positions, uh, then all of a sudden they don't want to hear that. Because they don't want to think. They don't want to think that they could have problems. They don't uh, realize that they need to repent. We all need to repent. We're all supposed to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, It's not just that the Protestants need to change, the Eastern Orthodox need to change, the Catholics need to change. Certainly they do. But so do we now who did, you, who did Jesus come to die for go to John 3.16 and 17 I'm going to read it Bible says John three verse sixteen, verse 17 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life so we hear that a lot first part at least from the Protestants Verse 17, they don't really grasp. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Now, one of the reasons I mentioned that is I mentioned John Calvin before. And in this article, I have a little bit about John Calvin, I've got another article, more details about John Calvin. But John Calvin basically felt that Jesus helped come to the world to condemn the world. John Calvin, in my view, had a... a uh, a racial prejudice. If you take Calvinism to its logical conclusion, according to Calvinists, 98% of the people who ever lived will not be saved. At the most, it would be 2%. It just so happens that almost the entire 2% are white people, okay, uh, from from Europe and uh, the Americas. White people. Not everybody, but, but, but uh, most of the people that you was referring to were white. So, based on his particular uh, view, he didn't have to be a of, child of Israel, so he at least let Gentiles, like the Germans, uh, be, be saved. But I believe that his view toward uh, salvation, which uh, he felt that most people were lost, basically his view is, it kind of goes like this. I wasn't going to talk as much about it, but I will for just a moment. Basically his view is, yeah, God is love. We're all bad sinners. But because God loves us, he's a society, he predestined 2% to be saved or less than 2% to be saved. And God is so great because he sent his son to die for that 2%, not for everybody else because they were all predestined to die and not accept Jesus anyway. So it's too bad, so sad. God is great. And to me, there were so, such racial overtones to that as well. But most people who are Calvinists, uh, I don't think uh, they, they grasp that. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, you don't have to go there, but the Apostle Paul states, As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. All will have an opportunity of salvation. Because some of you might be saying, wait a second, if you're saying salvation to everybody, how come you've got the fact that uh, the Chinese didn't know the name of Jesus for a long time, Indians, people in India didn't know it, people in scattered islands didn't know the name of Christ, uh, the indigenous peoples of uh, North and South America prior to the time of, uh, of Columbus hadn't heard the name of Christ, uh, most likely, etc. But God has a plan for those, comes later. Now, we did a series of sermons called Universal Offer of Salvation. And you can find us at the cogwriter.com website. And There's also an article there that has hundreds of scriptures that show that God has a plan to call some now and some and the rest later but even that plan isn't racially based the plan is God is going to call all who can uh, when it's the best time for them in Genesis 18 verse 25 Abraham said shall not the judge the earth do right and that is the plan God has a plan that all nations are going to come and worship him if you go to Revelation 15 verses 3-4 through you can read that Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the Saints. Who shall, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. All right. The plan is all nations are going to come and worship God. If all nations are going to come and worship God, therefore salvation is not limited to the Jews. Salvation is not limited to the broader children of Israel. Salvation is not limited just to people who are white or people who are of mixed race or one of the other one of the various races. God has a plan of salvation that will result in almost everyone being saved. I'd like to go to a few things from the, from the book of Acts. I noticed I was gonna do this before, so if you go and uh, go through this, this article, you'll see this is a little bit out of order. If You take your Bible and go to the book of uh, Acts, chapter 13. And by the way, here's something in the background. Uh, um, we are getting some rain. Uh, Acts 13, starting in verse 42. So when Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So we see that Paul was going to the synagogues, but the Gentiles were there, and they wanted to be preached to the next Sabbath. When when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes that's Gentiles, converts, if you will, followed Paul and Barnabas, speaking to them, persuading them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blasphemed. They opposed this thing spoken of by Paul. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you rejected and judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. The salvation is for the ends of the earth, not just the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Verse 48, When Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. I'd like to read further in the book of Acts. I'm doing this to make the point abundantly clear, that God can call the Jews, God can call the Israelites, God can call the Gentiles, and God... The plan is to offer salvation to all. Uh, Acts 15, starting in verse 6. Now when the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, there was much dispute. Peter rose and said, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose amongst us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. So Peter's saying, God made no distinction between Jews and the Gentiles. Purifying their hearts by faith. Therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke in the neck of disciples, which neither your fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved the same manner as they. So the Jews are still subject to being saved, it says here. Verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Verse 13. When they became silent, James answered and said, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon declared how God first visited the Gentiles to take them people to his name. And then with the words of the prophets agreed, just as written. Verse 16. After this, I will return. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. And I will set it up. So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does these things. Verse 18. Known to God from eternity are all his works. So calling the Gentiles was always part of the plan. Therefore, I judge, this is James, that we should not trouble those Gentiles who return to God, but that we should write them to stain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. By the way, this is not doing away with the Sabbath of the Ten Commandments. I know certain Protestants have concluded that's what this meant. But, uh, Maybe I'll, I, I do intend to do more on the Sabbath and the commandments and other sermons, but let me just make a comment right here. All early professors of Christ, with the exception of a, a couple of labeled apostates, including those that ended up being in the Eastern Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic churches, as well as the churches of God, all believed that they had to keep Ten Commandments. There were just a few heretics who did not. But the idea that uh, the they were not supposed to keep commandments, was not understood by, by early Christians. They, they felt they were supposed to keep the Ten Commandments. And even those who professed Christ understood they were supposed to keep the Ten Commandments. And the Gentiles did, by the way, and that's documented throughout early church history. And I would also comment for modern scholars who think that they know what 1st uh, and 2nd century Greek meant, those who wrote in the 19th, 20th, 21st century, realize that people who lived in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd centuries understood that Greek better than people do now. And early Christians did keep the Sabbath and Ten Commandments and that kind of thing. Anyway, getting back to my main point, I want to go to Acts chapter uh, 26, verse 19. The Apostle Paul starts to speak, and he's talking to King Agrippa. He said, I wasn't disobedient to heavenly vision, verse 20, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do the works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both this, to the small and great. There's no difference. He's witnessing to the small and the great. Doesn't matter if you're wealthy or important or whatever. Saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. Verse 23 That Christ would suffer, that he would be. First, to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So it's still both. Now, furthermore, Paul wrote something in the book of Romans, chapter 15, I'd like to read. Romans 15, starting verse 7. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. For it is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall have hope. So Jesus was to be hope for the Gentiles. Continuing in Romans 15. This time starting in verse 15. Sorry about that. I've just got to adjust something on my notes. I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentile might be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient so the Gentiles were supposed to become obedient also, by the way, which is contrary to some Protestant theologians. Verse 19. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Verse 20. And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I build on another man's foundation. Verse 21, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and to those who have not under- heard shall understand. The Gentiles were part of the plan, as the New Testament shows, but so also were the, were the Jews, as it says in Acts 26 23, which I read a moment ago. All right. some have questioned this and I'd like to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14 something that the apostle Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all then all died and he who died for all that those who live should no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again Jesus died for all now we realize that all haven't seen everything yet in Luke 3 verse 6 one of my favorite verses it says all flesh shall see the salvation of God I'm not going to go through all the uh, scriptures that I have here regarding Apophagotestasis or God's plan of restoration Or how God is going to call those later who are not called now. But I would like to at least read 1 Timothy uh, 2, verses 1 through 6, something the Apostle Paul wrote. 1 Timothy 2. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. The plan is the desire is for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Verse 6, Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified In due time. So it's not that everybody was going to be be called uh, now, but some are going to be called later. And what happens for us as Christians, we're supposed to be an example now. Uh, We're supposed to be the light of the world, but we're also going to be used later to help bring more into glory. And that's part of the plan that we have. Now, for those of you who wonder, for example, what about people who died in China and whatever? and I've alluded to this before, but let's go to uh, Jeremiah uh, 16, uh, verses 19 through 21. It says, God has a plan, and it's not racially biased against the Gentiles. Jeremiah 16, verse 19. The Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthless and unprofitable things. Will a man make gods for himself which are not gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might. They shall know that my name is eternal. So the Gentiles are going to come to God. They're going to realize that they relied on false traditions. They're going to realize a lot of what they were taught was simply not the case. Those who did not know will come to truth. Uh... The Bible is clear about that. In this article, I have a lot of different things about this. And even the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1.26, you don't have to go there, but he talks about a mystery that was been hidden for ages. These are things a lot of people do not realize. Now, what about Anglo-Israelism? Doesn't that teach racial superiority? And I've had some recent sermons about uh, Anglo-Israelism, but those are promises of physical blessings, not promises of salvation. Uh, The Bible is clear the birthright was Joseph's as it says in 1 Chronicles uh, uh, 5, 1 through 2. There were various promises made uh, through uh, Jacob or Israel to Joseph's sons in uh, Genesis 48, Genesis 49 and also in Deuteronomy 33. And those are coming to pass because those are supposed to happen in the last days. But those were not promises for salvation. Now it's true being in certain nations makes it easier for us to get the gospel out. Uh, currently, we're still allowed to say almost anything we want on the internet uh, without having the government kick us off uh, if we're based in the United States and some of the other lands. And that may change, by the way. But currently, we're able to do that. And that's one of the reasons why I believe that the Continuing Church of God is currently based in the United States of America. It doesn't mean it'll stay there forever. Uh, Jesus said if persecute you in one city, flee to another. You won't go through all the cities of Israel before he comes back. The Jews are not more worthy of salvation than the Gentiles. The Gentiles are not more worthy of salvation than the Jews. The Jews are not less worthy of salvation than the Gentiles. The Gentiles are not less worthy of salvation than the Jews. Now, I mentioned the Continuing Church of God several times. I'd like to read something from our Statement of Beliefs. This is from the Statement of Beliefs of the Continuing Church of God. Quote, This is another section called Love and Salvation for All Races and Peoples. Racial hatred is wrong. While there can be racial differences, the Bible does not teach that one race is superior in his eyes to any other. The Bible commands all humankind to love their neighbors as themselves. And I quote scriptures. So, by the way, you can read our statement of beliefs. It's at the ccog.org website. And it's in multiple languages, too, by the way. Jesus came to bring joy to all peoples, says in Luke 2, the Bible shows that salvation is now offered to both Jews and Gentiles, Acts 10, 35, Romans 10, 12 through 13, etc. And that God intends to save people, quote, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, it says in Revelation 17, excuse me, 7, 9. Christian love should be shown to all people of all ethnicities. Our God is the God of salvation, it says in uh, Psalm 68:20, All flesh shall see the fel- salvation of God. That's the position of the continuing Church of God, and hopefully it's yours as well. Now, how are we saved? I'd like to repeat again what it says in Ephesians 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are all his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. God's word shows we're supposed to love everyone, Uh, God's word commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves Jesus came to bring joy to all peoples this is not limited to one race or group God's word shows that salvation is freely offered now to the Jews and the Gentiles to circumcised, the uncircumcised the children of Israel and those who are not that God intends to save people of all tribes, tongues and nations not all are going to be saved in this age but others will be saved in the age to come Love your brother, Brother, love those who you uh, question are your brothers because of their race or whatever. Don't mistreat them. We're supposed to love everyone. God's grace is not limited to any particular race. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we teach in the Continuing Church of God. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God telling you, look at your Bibles, believe what it says, and love your neighbor as yourself.